Hello, welcome to The Property Show. I'm Andrew Montlake and with me is my co-host, Louisa Fletcher. We're here to talk about all things property. So whether you're staying put, buying, selling, renting or letting, we'll be chatting through the latest news on the housing market and mortgages, as well as sharing our advice and expertise to help you get the best from your home. In today's show, Lou will be looking at the latest house price news and sharing her tips for buyers in what could be the busiest spring housing market for over a decade. Plus, Monty will be bringing us up to speed with the latest developments in the cladding scandal and talking about the recent release of 40-year fixed-rate mortgages, as well as sharing the essential things you need to consider before you take out any long-term fixed-rate mortgage. We're here to help you make money, save money, and most importantly of all, protect yourself regardless of where you are on your home ownership journey. All good to go, Lou? Put the pedal to the metal, Monty. Hello, Lou. Hello. I love your I love your little things. Put the oh. pedal to the metal. You've got a different one every week. I try to be original, Monty. I like it. I like it a lot. So, um, look, <laughs> it's been a busy old week, hasn't it, Lou? How have you... How have you been? So I'm not going to lie. I'm going to share this with our listeners because I feel, you know, transparency is the way forward. It's a Saturday afternoon. It's about 3.30 and I've got a glass of wine on the go because it's just been that kind of a week. I'm so jealous. I've got some hot water. (laughs) And I have actually, do you know what? I've been, because I've been so busy, I haven't done any exercise all week. And, but I have actually, before we came on, knocked out a 45 minute classic rock peloton session <gasps> oh well done you'd have loved the soundtrack oh you need to send it was me that awesome. I, need to, I need to listen to that it was it was awesome it was really good and it was up hills it was sprints it was like little arm weights and all kinds of stuff excellent work so if i suddenly collapse halfway yeah, through this know. podcast <laughs> We know what's happened. Yeah. So I've done no exercise all week and I opened a bottle of wine at three o'clock this afternoon, but that's just the way I roll. Yeah. You're, you, you've always been a rock chick, haven't you, really? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we've got quite, a, it's been a busy week for old property news, isn't it? Since the budget. Yeah, it has. Which was only 10 it days has. ago as we sit here today. I know. I know. So, so let's start with the first bit of property news from this week. Yes. Um, I saw in the press that there's been another update on the cladding scandal. So what's the latest with all of that? What's going on? Well, if you recall when we talked about cladding before, there were a lot of issues around mortgages uh, and the mortgage requirements for flats that may or may not have cladding. And the problem is that valuers were going around looking at properties and if they were in any doubt whatsoever at all, as which is is no surprise really, they would ask to see proof that the cladding on there was safe, which is fair enough, I guess, really. And they basically came up with this EWS1 form which had to be completed to show that actually the stuff on the building, on the edges of the building, was safe. Okay. And this is required if you're selling a property or if you're going to stay put if you're remortgaging, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, And the EWS1 form is the external wall system form. Okay. 
basically. So this isn't just cladding, though, is it? This is other stuff too, right? It is other stuff, but mainly it's concerned with the outside of the building and the fire risks around that. So basically, the form is a set way for a building owner to confirm that any external wall system or residential buildings has been assessed. I'll say that again, has been assessed for safety by a suitable expert. I thought I was the one who had the wine here. You want I know, water, I was going to say, there you go. I've, uh, I should be drinking yeah, you wine. Should, you should, should be, be more well. lucid. So, okay, so, so that's the backstory. And this has meant that a lot of people who wanted to sell a flat have been, you know, for the most part, you know, it, there's been a delay in the process. Or people who wanted to remortgage have also been delayed because of the lack of ability to get one of these EWS1 certificates, right? So there's been a lot of arguments, if you like, or, or Mexican standoffs with the valuer saying, I want an EWS1 form, and the property manager saying, nah, you're not getting one. It will take too long to get. I'm not giving you one. There's no cladding. And basically the lender, to be fair to the lender, they're in the middle here. They just want to lend on the property that's safe. And the people in the, in the properties, this is where my heart really goes out to them. There are people living in these properties who don't know whether their block is safe or not. And they might want to sell and someone might want to buy, but they can't because of this standoff. So RICS, who are the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors, have basically come out with their final guidance. Okay. And that's what's happened this week, right? That's what's happened this week. So it should make things a little bit clearer, or hopefully a lot clearer, when an EWS1 form is needed and when it isn't. Now, it doesn't come into force until April the 5th, and Ricks have said that the majority of mortgage lenders were signed up. So not all of them, because some will still want to do their own checks and balances. But basically, the the long and the short of it is that um, the new guidance makes it clear where a valuer or lender can establish that the building owner has met the advice in the EWS1 form, whether it should be required or whether actually you don't need it. So that's going to help people who are kind of caught in the logjam at the moment or would have been had this guidance not been released. Yeah, that's right. Now, as always, it's not going to be perfect, but hopefully it will mean that less EWS1 forms are asked for because there's just a nagging doubt in the in the valuer's mind and he's just being safe. And yeah, we don't blame the valuer for that. If you're talking about something really serious here and 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 they they don't want to be on the line for for not checking properly. But there are a lot of times where actually we see it where the value is asked for an EWS one form and the building manager's gone, but there's no cladding anywhere. And and so hopefully this should and especially on the smaller buildings, so on up to four stories, the EWS one form should only be asked for now if there is ACM, MCM or HPNL panels, so they're the type of panels that are on the building. If it's not any of those type, then they shouldn't be asking for them. So hopefully this should speed up processes and allow more people to buy and sell. Okay, well, well fingers crossed. And 
And Ricks are also saying that they're going to release some guidance soon for consumers as well. So that's questions for buyers to ask if they're buying a flat or for flat owners to ask of their management company. Is is that right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, and, and when I see that, we'll, we can go through that. But the good news is that people are starting to listen and the actions are being taken to help the general public and to help values and to help mortgage lenders around this this really quite passionate and emotive issue um, to help things free up and the process to become smoother. Um, so so it is generally good news. There is there is some momentum here. Mm, mm. And I think, you know, as we've said all the way along, as things change, we'll do our best to kind of unpick it and talk about it on here. But, you know, it, it's great things moving forward, but there's still an awful long way to go, isn't there? You know? Yeah, I, I do think there's a long way to go. And, and you know, the government have given a, a, a sense that they've increased the amount of money available, but it's still not enough in my book. It's still not fair that any leaseholder at all has to pay and put their hand in their pocket for things that aren't their fault in any other walk of life. If you're buying a product of any sort, if it's defective, you complain and you can get your money back, but not, it seems, in housing. And that's something that needs to change. But we'll keep listeners up to date on that. And as soon as those new regs are released in April, we'll we'll pick through them and chat them through on here, right? Quite right. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Property Show with Louisa Fletcher and Andrew Montlake. So, Lou, last time we spoke, you were saying that we were entering the prime time for sellers to put their homes on the market. Now, I've hardly spoken to you over the last week, so <laughs> I, assume you, I assume you've been pretty busy. Yeah, I think... I think I kind of met myself coming backwards midweek, if I'm perfectly honest. <laughs> Probably twice. Yeah. Kind of waved <laughs> Did you at myself. stop and chat? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's been bonkers. Yeah. I know the feeling. There's been a lot of late nights. Yes. With, um, You're at the sharp yeah. end of the mortgage side. So I'm. Yes. I'm, very yes. sharp indeed. So where, what's, what's basically happened then? Where are we now? You know, it's a, it's a week or so post budget, isn't it? So, so what effect do you think it's, it's had on the housing market so i think i would suggest that for the most part the budget seems to have maintained the positive sentiment that we've seen over the past few months but i think there's a layer above that which is you know lockdown measures will begin to ease in less than a month now um so i think that that sort of shifted people's overall mindsets and it's just made people feel a bit more upbeat. You know, it's not dark at four o'clock in the afternoon anymore. You know, it's all of that kind of stuff. There's a general, it feels there's kind of this general kind of, okay, we're we're almost out the other side of it now. Um, But I think, you know, from the budget, that's meant that the pressure is off slightly now for those who would have missed the stamp duty deadline had it have come to a cliff edge at the end of the at the end of March. So they've got that breathing room. And, you know, that's highly significant, Monty, because such a huge number of sales could have fallen through if they hadn't have, have introduced the extension. So, you know, at one point, 
there was an expectation that over 200,000 transactions could have fallen through. So, you know, now we've got that extension, those deals are more likely to complete, albeit there probably will be still some some fall throughs because there are in any market, you know. But but the reality of it is, hopefully, for the most part, those who wanted to complete in order to make that saving, which for those in London and the southeast is significant. I mean, it's everybody, you know, it's going to save save a lot of buyers money. But really, those in London and the southeast are going to be the most impacted from being able to save that that maximum of fifteen thousand pounds. So I think that that plus the fact that We've seen that, you know, the the stamp duty now is going to taper off, obviously, from the 1st of July, but it's still going to mean that come come the end of September, a lot of people will have saved money. So I think that that's kind of made people reassess things and think, you know what? Yeah, let's get on with it. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because we've had the budget, you've got the stamp duty extension, you've got 95% mortgages, although we still yet to see the real details and the rates on that. But that's just created even more interest, which is why we're all so busy and, you know, property portals are reporting the the, the biggest ever eyeballs on sites as people leaf through their property porn. Um, And you've got the latest right move figures, haven't you? I have. I have indeed. Mm. So can you share them? I can. So these figures are based on asking prices rather than sold prices. As we know, there can be a difference between the two. (laughs) <laughs> um, quite a big difference quite a big difference but I always think that asking prices are, are they are important because they provide a really good temperature check of, of market sentiment so they are kind of the trend line if you yeah. will so what's the what's the overall picture then so looking at these latest figures asking prices have increased by nearly one percent over the last month <laughs> well. Uh, so for context, okay, so that means that the average asking price of a property in the UK is now just over £320,000 and that there has been an average increase in asking price of just over £2,400 in a month. So all these people rushing to get through in the stamp duty holiday are paying higher prices anyway, or at least the asking prices are going for higher. So my take out from that is that roughly speaking what you're saving stamp duty asking prices having have increased by in a month it's crazy isn't it so is it just that that driving it is is there any other issues apart from just a stamp duty holiday so i think you know there's a couple of factors involved in this so there still aren't enough properties for sale in money in many areas to, to meet demand and that means that a lot of sellers can I say name their price, it means they can be a little bit aspirational and have a fair chance of meeting that. So, you know, we were saying, you know, a couple of minutes ago that the existing stamp duty holiday means that the majority of buyers outside of London and the southeast, you know, at the moment, the maximum is £15,000. But even when that reduces down to £2,500 from the 1st of July, the majority of movers outside of London and the southeast will still save all, if not the majority, of the stamp duty that they will pay. Where I'm kind of going with this is that that's created a lot of stimulus, which indeed is what it was designed to do. We all get that. So 
now you've got people who thought they were going to miss the March deadline, who now know that it's extended till September, who are now coming to market going, well, this is great. I've got longer than I thought. Crack on. Let's just crack on. Let's just get on with it. Um, so you just don't have enough properties to meet that demand right now. And, and I think, you know, I'm kind of wincing as I'm saying it, but I think this could be the start of the market really picking up steam across the spring and into the summer. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I just saw Savills also re- released their uh, updated. There's going to be a um, lot of that in the next few months. And improved yeah. uh, house price growth data. And, and they reckon 4% in all this year house prices and, and another rise next year. And something like over the next five years, it's going to go up 21%. And it's just, it's crazy, really. Um, and with all that in mind, then, what advice do you have for buyers at the moment? So I'd say for anyone buying a property at any level, so regardless of how much you're able to spend, there are four key factors to consider. So that's size, location, condition, and price. And this applies to any buyer. So even if you have a budget of millions, and you know I've been lucky enough to work with celebrities and professional sports people over the years and advise them on stuff. Mm. Ooh, fancy. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's still the same set of problems. So it doesn't matter how much you have to spend, right? This is this is a universal thing. The perfect property doesn't exist within your budget. You are always probably going to want what you can't afford. So <laughs> that's just life, right? So so if we go back to our list, size, location, condition, price, go into this process knowing that you'll probably be able to check two off the list. And if you're really lucky, three. But because the perfect property doesn't exist, you're not going to get all four. We all know that size isn't everything. (laughs) It's family show, Monty. Sorry, family show, family show. Um, So go on then. What do you mean by that? Explain it in in a bit more detail. So as an example, you may be looking in a certain area. So that's your location. Up to a certain price. But it may be that you can't find a property that's either got the number of bedrooms you're looking for, so obviously that relates to size, or it just needs loads of work. So, you know, your budget will only stretch to something that's effectively a doer-upper. So that's that's where we talk about condition. So in other words, if you think about our, our list, size, location, condition, price, you could tick the location and price boxes, but not condition and size. And this is where compromise comes into it, because if you perhaps compromise on the location, you'll probably find you can stay within the same budget and yet maybe get a bigger property and possibly even one that's in a better condition. Or conversely, if you're prepared to do a bit of work to something, so if you compromise on the condition and maybe size, so if you buy a two-bedder that has the scope to extend up into the loft or maybe get you know a double-height extension on the back, you can buy for your budget in the area that you're looking. So, you know, you could ostensibly extend and renovate later on. And, and you know, I know that there are going to be people listening to this, and this all sounds very Captain Obvious. Yeah, I get that. But honestly, you would be amazed at the amount of people who don't join the dots until it's, until it's laid out in this way. And and to be honest, you know why would you? But it really is that that sort of straightforward. Um, 
And, and I think what, what kind of adds more context to that is that the majority of buyers look for the next home within five to seven miles of where they live currently. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Is that, do you reckon that's even now? Yeah. So even though we've seen a pattern of behaviour, again, mostly people in London in the southeast who've perhaps decided that they want to, to decamp and move out a bit, you know, but the vast majority are still searching within their local area. So bearing that in mind, you know, just by expanding your search to 15 miles, you'd be surprised at how much difference that would make to, to, to an average person's search in terms of what then becomes available within your budget. And that's, yeah, that's really interesting. That, and that's, <laughs> we see this all the time. Um, even the ones who, you know, people sensibly doing the right thing, working out, speaking to a mortgage broker first, working out what they can afford, then going out shopping. And then you get that little phone call. Hi, hi, Andrew. Um, you know, you said we could go up to X. Well, I found this place and I've fallen in love with it and it's going to cost a little bit more. And that's always the way, isn't it? Everyone always falls in love with something that's slightly more than they can afford. And it's human nature, Monty. And, you know, the other thing I believe that does play a big part in this is people move home so infrequently these days. So it's an average of 17 years between house moves now, which which is a massive step change, right? So I think a lot of buyers do feel disappointed because they start this process with all good intentions and then they can't find what they want for their budget once they actually get out there and sort of seriously start looking at properties. And, and that can be a really dispiriting experience for people. You know, and understandably, and I totally get it because, you know, let's face it, you're spending hundreds of thousands of pounds, in some case, millions. Um, you know, let's be fair. Um, and you'd expect if you're spending hundreds of thousands of pounds to be able to get exactly what you want, yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah. So it's all about realistic expectations then. I, yes, absolutely. And compromise. Because by going into the whole process of buying a property with the acceptance as before you start that the perfect property doesn't exist and therefore you're going to have to compromise on something, you will save yourself a lot of stress and heartache as you're searching. Just accept that, 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 that the perfect home isn't out there. There's going to have to be something you compromise on. And if you can get your head around that, I promise you it does make life a little bit easier. Good advice as always. I'm still going out looking for that unicorn though. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> Thank you. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Property Show with Monty and Lou. Go on, what's next, Lou? Something else I picked up on this week, I read, and I actually had to read it twice, if not three times, because I was so gobsmacked, um, about the launch of a 40-year fixed-rate mortgage. And uh, Now, we're a family show, so there will be no profanities in what I'm about to say, but like, shut the front door, 40 years fixed. And, and I, I have, oh, you can hear I'm speechless, right? So, you know, we were, I think, as an industry, you know, 10-year fixed rate mortgages, that was a thing when they launched a few years ago. But 40 years, a 40-year fix, what is all that about? It's a long time, eh? You'll be what? Well, yeah, we're not even going to talk about that. 32, 33. Oh, such a charmer, <laughs> seriously. 40-year fix, Monty. Yeah, you said yeah. that. 
40 years, Lou, it's a long time to fix a mortgage, isn't it? But look, it's really interesting, all of this. And, and at the start of this, I've said for ages, we need better products. We need them to be more modern, more flexible. And for years, you know, that we've had the same type of product, two-year fix, three-year fix, five-year fix. Yeah, we've got a 10-year fix. And yes, you've got some lenders who offer offsets or flexible fixed rate mortgages, but on the most part, they're a bit, this is my word of the day, anachronistic. So they're they're very, they're very, try saying that with a glass of wine. Anachronistic. Okay. <laughs> Get you. I'm going to shut up now. Um, so they're, uh, they're old fashioned products in the modern age. And and yeah, product innovation is great. Um, long-term fixes with no penalties are needed, amongst other things. And it's interesting that this, that the people who've brought this out, so Habito, they're an online mortgage brokerage who have decided to do a bit of lending as well. Um, and it's interesting they got there first. So I I suspect it's so they can claim the PR win and... and uh, claim to have changed mortgages when I'm not sure they have. But anyway, well done to them for doing so. The problem I have with these rates are they're expensive. Well, clearly, yeah, because they have to account for the fact that, okay, we're at a historically low Bank of England base rate right now, but that probably could change in 40 years, I'm guessing. Yeah, absolutely. And yes, there are no penalties, so you could take it out for 15 years and then remortgage but it whichever way you look at it they seem to be expensive so for example their 10-year fix is at 2.99 percent but the best available on the market is at 1.99 percent so that's quite a big difference just looking at the at the 10-year fix so for example if you borrowed 200,000 over 25 years, you'd basically save £100 a month taking the market best rate. So over the over the 10 years, you'd actually be £12,000 worse off. Plus, because you're on a higher rate, you'd be paying more in interest and less in capital. So you'd paid off less. Now, if you took the 40-year rate. Which is? At, and this is at 60% loan okay. to you. It's at 4.2%. <gasps> okay. Now, that's a big old difference. Wow. So the 40-year fix versus the 10-year fix, after 10 years, you'd be sort of 27, 28,000 pounds worse off. And yes, I know there's flexibility, and yes, I know you could potentially move, but it just does. It, do you know what? It doesn't quite work for me with this pricing. The concept is great, but the price. Why would anybody take a forty-year fixed mortgage when you can, at the moment, let's face it, take a very competitively priced five-year fix, and then that means that you can kind of come back in five years and just look around and, and see what's going on. You might be able to save money. If rates have moved up, it probably wouldn't have been by that much. But what? why Why 40 years? Why? why? <laughs> well, I mean, the key the, the key for them is they're saying that look, they've been doing research and, and you know, they, they very much play on the fact that 
the market is broken and we're changing everything. And uh, just uh, with all due respect, they're, they're a really good outfit, but I don't believe that at all. The market is not broken. It's one of the best run and tightly regulated industries in the UK with a really rich vein of talented, professionally qualified, <laughs> dedicated advisors, passionately working all hours for the benefit of their clients. And to claim that actually this is this is fixing a broken market, I think is a little bit disingenuous. It's great that there's choice. It's what we want. Now, what's interesting is that there are two or three other lenders about to come out with long-term fixed rates, sort of 30 years. But the rates that they're talking about are going to be proper rates, cheap, almost as cheap if what they're saying is true as, you know, five-year fixes, six-year, uh, ten-year fixes. And that could well be a game-changer. And also, I have a bit of a problem with a broker offering their own regulated mortgage product, which could potentially turn them from advisors into company salesmen flogging their wares. And, and there's that as well. And then if you look at the 90% rates, you can get 90% 40-year fix at 5.35%. Now, what it doesn't say is with these long-term fixed rates, does it mean that affordability is, is easier? So if you know what your payments are going to be for the next 40 years, surely you shouldn't be limited to, say, four and a half, five times income. If it's affordable now, it's going to be affordable in the future. So potentially the whole reason to take a longer-term fix is a, you know what your payments are going to be forever, but your borrowing capacity should be should be more. And also, and there's a company called Dashley, who a really interesting company, and and they say, they've actually just released a. Fridge I was going to say they have the fridge magnet put on your they? fridge, yes. yeah, which tells you when your um, when your mortgage could be could be replaced. I think it's cute. I I would go for that. Yeah, if you've got a ninety percent fixed rate, and you're at five point three five. What happens when you've paid enough capital that your loan to value is only 75%? I was going to say, because then you're into a whole new realm of cheaper rates and you don't want to be locked into... There are various things here. There are cheaper products out there. You pay more interest and reduce your loan slower. What about moving to a cheaper rate as the equity grows? And nowadays, actually, when you remortgage, there are free legals and valuation fees. Not every broker charges a fee. And there are also product transfers. We, we talked about that last time, where you can switch really easily. So you could save thousands of pounds elsewhere, and you'd need large rises in interest rates to, to actually lose out by, by doing this. And there are other lenders, like Coventry, for example, who have flexible five-year fixed rates anyway, at a lot cheaper. So Good concept. Don't quite get this version of it. For some people, a 10-year fixed rate, so for example, if they've only got 10 years left to run on their mortgage, and there are people in that position, right? They've only got 10 years left to, to go on their mortgage. A 10-year fix can be a very effective way of managing their money, you know. So if you are thinking about taking out a longer-term fixed product... What would be the main things, do you think, regardless of how long, five, ten years, maybe longer, but what should people be thinking about? They should be thinking about, so what we talk about with clients is, is let's look at your, your life in the next five, ten years, actually. Um, do you think there's going to be 
changes? Or do you think, for example, in, in your situation, the, the scenario you've just mentioned, actually, do you know what? I've got 10 years left on my mortgage. I'm not going anywhere. I just want to be secure with the payments. Then, then that's, that's a really good option. A 10-year fixed rate makes perfect sense. 1.99%. Yeah, excellent. I think anyone who I can't I can't predict what's going to happen in the next five or ten years, let alone the next 30 or 40. Um, so I just feel that I'm over being overcharged now for something I might or might not need in the future. And it's it's quite interesting. And clients come to us all the time. I want flexibility, I want to be able to do this, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. We then speak to them in five, 10 years time and they haven't done any of that because life gets in the way. They haven't, as soon as you get cash, you don't necessarily pay it off your mortgage or you don't necessarily want to move. And you know what? If you do want to raise more money to do up your kitchen or bathroom, you can take further advances or you can take affordable second charges. So there's, there's a whole realm of other things that you could do rather than get sucked into a uh, an expensive rate which let's face it is is actually more expensive than some lenders standard variable rate sounds like it's kind of on a on a par with a lot of lenders standard variable rate and we're not being and we're not being mean about that we're just stating I'm not, truth I'm right? not being no exactly we're just stating the truth and I'm not being an establishment person saying that oh typical they're trying to disrupt the industry and blah 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 i'm not being that at all because i'm the first person to say we need modern flexible products we just need them to be priced correctly and we need them to be advised on in an independent manner so i have another question for you and i don't know how many of our listeners will will know about this stuff but in japan you can take out a hundred-year mortgage, and these are yeah, right. Yeah. So these are intergenerational mortgages, which mean that the mortgage is passed down to the next generation. Yeah. So, do you think that that could happen here? Do you think we could see these intergenerational mortgages, where the mortgage as well as the property passes between generations? Do you think that could happen? Given the fact that my ten-year-old daughter has just broken into our Amazon <gasps> and ordered £130 worth of stuff. No way. That has just started deliver- <gasps> being delivered. I am all for saddling my kids with my bed. <laughs> <laughs> no, on a serious note, do you know what? It's a really interesting concept and it's it's quite a harsh thing, actually, to saddle your kids with your debt. And I'm not... Could it happen here? Of course it could. It's happened in Japan, and actually, yes, it could potentially happen here. But the British psyche is very, very different. And you can look at at the US, you can look at Japan, you can look at Germany or other places in Europe, and long-term fixes and the way that they consume property is very different. The UK has always been something a little bit different, and we do things in a different way. And Yes, it could happen here, but I don't think it will happen in the near future. Okay. We, we'll come back to that. I, I find the 100-year mortgage thing a fascinating concept, but there you go. 
I do as well, actually. I, I really do. And it is a good way of, if you think about it, passing on. If if you are keeping a family home within the family for generations, then then sort of why not? So I think we're nearly out of time. But before we go, while we're on the subject of mortgages, it would be remiss of me not to ask, any, any rates have caught your eye this week? Anything out there that's a bit of a bargain? You can get a two-year fixed rate with HSBC at 1.14% with a 40% deposit or you can get a 15-year fix, talking about long-term fixes, with Virgin at 2.55%. 90% mortgages are, are still becoming more popular, so um, digital mortgages by Atom Bank have, have come out with a two-year fix at 3.04 or a, a five-year fixed rate at 334 Um so there are quite a lot of choice that's around in the, in the five year market. Nationwide have still got their five year fix at just one point two four. They're a lovely bunch. I mean, that's how cheap rates are. That's how cheap rates are. So it it looks as if interest rates are going to stay cheap, and that's going to be a great result for a lot of people, isn't it? So we're definitely out of time now, <laughs> and. Um, Thank you for your time. I, I hope you've enjoyed your your red wine. What what red wine is it? Uh, actually, it, it's a it's a it's a glass of Pinot Grigio Blush, and it's very pleasant. And I've nearly finished it, and I'll be having another one very shortly. There you go. There you go. So it's a good job we didn't start recording this a little bit later. Otherwise, you'd be slurring yeah, your yeah. words. It could have been a very different um, outcome. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's one for the future. Oh, yes. <laughs> Drunk podcast. Anyway. There you go. Thank you all for listening again. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating or leave us a review in your podcast app. We're here to help with your property problems and your mortgage dilemmas. So if you'd like our advice, why not drop us an email to hello at theproperty-show.co.uk. And if you want the very latest on the property market from the two of us, please give us a follow on social media. You'll find us on Twitter at The Property Show Pod. Thanks for joining us. See you on the next one.